Should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. So electrified looks different for everyone. Yup, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero. Hi, Jim. Hi, Maeve. I hope you're doing okay over there. I'm okay. How are you? I'm rattled. Oh, no. I just um, was outside putting the hens down to their hen run, including, you know, James your, Hamblin, the hen. including James Hamlin the hen. And there's That's a nice. bloody dead blackbird right in front of our porch. And I was... This is Social Distance, the Atlantic's oh. podcast about the pandemic. I'm Jim Hamblin, a doctor and a staff writer with The Atlantic. And I'm Maeve Higgins, a comedian and a writer currently kind of worried about something that's outside my home. Is that okay to put that in? Because it's very much on my mind. Yeah, no, I mean, I feel like it's central to your identity at this point. Sorry, <laughs> there's a dead crow. A little blackbird, I think, because it has an orange beak and the little legs. So oh, that's very I sad. I know. And it's also so sinister because I didn't have time to look it up, but I think it means there's going to be a murder. What? There's some there's some symbolism. You, oh no! <laughs> if there's a dead bird like right at your front door, yeah, um, it, it means something is going to happen. And I'm not superstitious. This is just you know. That's just a basic fact. <laughs> yeah, and I'm so freaked out. So I think he died naturally. I don't know. As I said, I was carrying two hens at that time, so I got <laughs> a fright and I like kind of squashed them, but they were fine. So they were squawking, and then. He didn't budge and his little legs are straight up and like, it's like a cartoon oh, of a dead bird. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe he died by um, flying into the window or something. Usually that's, yeah. I mean, I'm not a bird doctor, but mm. that is usually my first assumption. It's a, a similar, you know, physiology as why you have studied. It's like legs, body. I think the only big difference is they have hollow bones. Um, <laughs> really? Otherwise, yeah, yeah, that's how they're able to fly. I mean, that's what I understand. Again, yeah. <laughs> we have been a bird podcast for quite a while, in fact. I, mean, I don't know if you listen. There's an episode where we actually went birding in Prospect Park. Yeah, Catherine, you're Catherine. Yeah. yeah, no, totally. I mean, this has just happened. Should I do a little CPR or a like little mouth-to-mouth -mouth on him? But uh, I think it's gone, yeah. You think he's gone because I told you because it's like his legs are sticking up? Yeah, that's diagnostic. Um, in terms of bird CPR, when you encounter a bird in that position, you don't try anything heroic. Okay, well, I'll just wait till my dad comes back to move the body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you shouldn't have to mess with something like that. That's definitely a good job for dad. <laughs> um, but, you know, so I'm glad to get to talk to you as a distraction from all this real stuff that's happening. But And I hope... You know, I hope, Jim, you appreciate that I make a bird's death about me. And that's what humans do. We <laughs> <laughs> We're at the center of our own story all the time. I'm just glad you didn't drop the hens. I am as well. Can you imagine that, like, I accidentally killed two hens because I got a fright because I saw one dead blackbird? Yeah. What a mess. I think in service to our listeners and to me... I read your piece, which was about vaccinating children. And, you know, it's been said often, Jim, that you you look like a child. They call you Babyface Hamblin. You're very young looking. Mm. 
but you're an adult but you still <laughs> saw fit to write about this very important topic <laughs> yeah someone has to and so i figured why not why not me because mm-hmm. i yeah i have this childish bearing i guess i've just i keep seeing people saying mm-hmm. like kids don't get that sick mm-hmm. um it's not that big a deal um, you know, things can reopen as soon as like the adults are vaccinated and yeah. without without a clear plan for how you navigate kids potentially getting sick. Um, and I've just been curious about what that will look like in the coming year because we won't have vaccines for kids for for quite some time. The problem with it for me was I was thinking about it relatively. So I was thinking, oh my God, like all of these people have died, say in the US, you know, over half a million people have died the number of children that have died is small compared to that. But that's mm-hmm. like such a bizarre way of thinking about it, right? Because in your piece, what I read was well, hundreds of children have died from a preventable illness. Yeah. What's now preventable. Um, and that really kind of opened my eyes up to like, oh yeah, my God, like we need to talk about vaccines for our children. Yeah. It's interesting because it, in an absolute way, it's a terrible toll and roughly mm-hmm. 28,000 hospitalizations in the US alone of kids and about yeah. a third of them are ending up in the ICU. You know, that's not a small thing, especially, you know, as a, as a young person I have to go to the ICU. That's like a life defining experience. Right. And relative to adults, it's it's small. So I think when you're in an acute crisis, you kind of just prioritize the biggest threat. And as that threat is attenuated by vaccines. Now we start to look at the also very real threat to children. And I talked to some pediatricians and tried to understand, you know, exactly how they're thinking about the coming months Mm -hmm. where we might have vaccines for adults and and not for kids. Mm -hmm. Or in the case of most of the world, still not vaccines for adults, but specifically in the U.S., Specifically in the US, yeah. And there is yeah. the um, news that the Pfizer vaccine is it is is now going for approval for 12 and up. Yeah, they will be soon. Um, they have found in their ongoing clinical trial that it seems that kids between 12 and 15 were having immune responses that were productive. So they're just looking for, you know, do kids get this immune reaction that look similar to adults are not actually following through because the disease is relatively rare in kids. I mean, even with tens of thousands of hospitalized, it's still yeah. relatively rare compared to adults. So in order to do a proper clinical trial, you'd have to wait a long, long time in order to, you know, wait for the outcomes, wait for a certain number of kids to get sick. And there's an interesting ethical dilemma there when you have a vaccine that very likely will work in kids. Mm-hmm. You know, do you wait a year to prove that outcome or do you just look at this intermediary point where it seems like yeah it's having a similar effect in the kids who got the vaccine as in adults who got the vaccine so we're mm-hmm. going to go ahead and and get it out there and get kids protected so they're just kind of titrating like what is the right dose for kids where they're going to not have too many side effects but are going to be protected oh is that what it is because i was thinking like how ignorant am i but i was just like do they need to test this literally because kids have smaller bodies than grown-ups? But there's more yeah. to it, isn't there? Or that's I mean that that's the fundamental thing. I mean, they're not uh-huh. <laughs> there's this refrain in pediatrics uh that's like kids are not just tiny adults. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean that that applies to parenting uh across yeah. the board. There are all kinds that's of why different you can't, things. Like make them work. And that's why it's funny 
if you put them in a suit and glasses, but because they're not. (laughs) No, they're not. (laughs) Um, They have weird feet uh, that need to be trimmed so they can fit into shoes. (laughs) Uh, I think, uh, no, but it's more... It's more like a food or like a vitamin C. It's not like a kid is going to react violently to this compound that adults, you know, tolerate quite well. It's more just like there might be different effects at different doses and smaller bodies that we need to be aware of. But it's not going to be like a like it's this whole different entity. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. They're the same species. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, the way people have been doing it is just by working their way down. I mean, it was already uh, the initial clinical trials included 16 and up. And so mm-hmm. um, the studies have just gone and are doing progressively younger people and so far seem seem reassuring and good. But But even still, we're looking at fall to early 2022 for wow. all the young people in the U.S. to have access to vaccines. One of the people who I spoke to was Dr. Jill Foster. She's a pediatrician in Minnesota. She is a professor at the University of Minnesota Medical School, a specialist in pediatric infectious disease. And I would love to talk more about what she's seeing in terms of sick kids and the prospect for vaccination. When you interview pediatricians, do you put on a baby voice? Um, (laughs) No, but they're just very nice people. Pediatricians are... uh, Are they? Yeah, I tend to be. I mean, it makes sense to me, but what doctors are mean surgeons? <laughs> Without going there, that's a great question. I think um, the <laughs> p- pediatrics self-selects for people who kind of have a lot of uh, a patients and really uh, want to take the time out of their day to make a kid smile or laugh. Excellent. You still have a number? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let me see here. Hi, Dr. Foster. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. Hi, Dr. Foster. It's Maeve, Jim's co-host. Please feel comfortable to call me Jill. Okay, thank you. Jill, thanks. Okay. Um, For our listeners, could you just say your title and a bit about what you do? I'm Jill Foster. I'm a professor of pediatrics and a pediatric infectious disease physician and have been through most of my career working around vaccines and working around issues Um, a lot of around HIV of why is it that we have great things that either the public doesn't use or doesn't know about. And, and that's really been the focus of my work. Well, it's quite crucial at a moment like this. Um, I wanted to start by talking about kind of what, what you're seeing clinically, because I think through most of the pandemic, the message to the public has been that kids don't get that sick because it's been put in relative terms relative to to adults. And indeed, the, the numbers are, are much better in kids. But now that vaccines are rolling out among adults, more people are starting to, you know, raise the question of what, what happens to unvaccinated kids in this time period while adults are vaccinated and kids aren't. So you've taken care of your share of kids who have had severe cases of, of COVID, is that right? Both COVID and then the syndrome called MISC that comes after COVID in children, where they've recovered from COVID and then within a couple weeks to a month later, they develop a inflammatory syndrome that is often even worse than the COVID. 
MISC, which is multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children? Yes. yes. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite a vague title. It is. It just means in, inflammation in many systems. That sounds horrifying. Yeah. I presume it's, it's, you don't know that it's going to come, right? Like you get COVID, you get better. And then, and then what happens? You know, it's interesting. It's similar to another disorder that's called Kawasaki syndrome, which people, most people, unless they know somebody who've had it, don't have that too. And, you know, and what it appears is that there's some trigger in this case, it's clearly the COVID that gets the immune system all revved up. Um, and so you want the immune system revved up somewhat to fight the COVID, but then mm-hmm. a lot of people it overreacts even during the COVID. But in kids, it appears that a couple weeks later, you know, it kind of lies down, dormant, just waiting to cause trouble. And then a couple weeks later, the immune system starts attacking the person. And the problem with MISC particularly is it starts attacking the arteries in the heart. So the kids come in with a fever and they feel bad all over. A lot of them have abdominal pain, uh, frequently also have a rash. And those are the things that should really cause alarm in parents if, if their child after COVID starts having a fever and abdominal pain and a rash. They should definitely see their physician. Um, and then we do the further testing. We do an echocardiogram of the heart and find that their coronary arteries are dilated and potentially damaged. God. Yeah. Uh, speaking of terrifying parents. So the overall, you know, rate of that happening among kids compared to what we're seeing in adults is, is still relatively low. How are you advising parents who might be vaccinated themselves or are going to be soon and would like to kind of, you know, have family gatherings or travel, get back to you know, quote unquote normal life this summer in a period when kids will not have access to vaccines yet? So, so what I'm saying is, that, you know, the vaccine gives us an extra measure of safety. Most kids, you know, 16 and up can get vaccine, but under 16 can't get vaccine. So, you know, by immunizing all the adults, we at least have taken a lot of the risk out, but, you know, we haven't taken all of the risk out. So people tend to think, you know, sort of an all or nothing. Um, But what it is, is it's less risky, but it's still risky enough that people still need to be a little careful, you know, wear your mask, keep your distance, you know, use hand sanitizer. But, you know, I do think that families, can gather again as long as they're you know a little careful. Earlier we mentioned the Pfizer news, you know, that their vaccine it's so far been safe for kids like between 12 and 16. Did that strike you as big news? And if so, like the timeline, say like the summer, like how did it change your thinking? Yeah, I think that is big news. And and, and mm-hmm. what I'm really hoping is I'm hoping that, you know, the same way all of this has been rolled out is, you know, first we roll it out, you know, for one group and then we roll it out for another group. And so mm-hmm. I'm really hoping that, you know, the data is reviewed and then there's, you know, this new age group will get uh, rolled into eligibility. I think when people hear children are less at risk and children don't mm-hmm. transmit, they tend to think about, you know, a two-year-old the same way as an 18-year-old. And so, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it, 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 it's related to kind of, you know, body size and the amount of, you know, sort of when you inhale and you exhale, how many, you know, viral particles you exhale. And little kids are only going to exhale a little bit of virus and not very far because they just don't have that much respiratory force. And 16, 17, 18-year-olds, they're going to be just the same as an adult. And so they're going to be just as likely to be able to transmit the virus. I was an absolutely massive 14-year-old. I was like, <laughs> so big. At the time, that rugby player, Jonah Lomu, was a big um, deal. I remember my dad saying, God, you're like the Jonah Lomu of our family. I was like, oh. 
Thanks. I don't know any rugby players. <laughs> yeah, because I just I just heard a story about um, a lot of transmissions that were um, from a soccer game. And so you picture oh. a soccer game and you got a bunch of people, you know, bumping up close to each other. You got a bunch of parents standing on the sidelines close to each other. And then you get a bunch of people that are yelling and cheering. And, oh, you know, yeah. it's yeah. just like the perfect storm for an outbreak. And, you know, it was outdoors. So everyone thought, oh, I don't need to wear a mask. And we're totally really? safe outdoors. And uh, Wow. That's rare. You do not see much transmission happening outdoors. Unless you have people standing right next to each other for two hours, you know, yelling. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I guess. That's right. That's right. Speaking of respiratory force, also, I have heard some very small kids be quite loud (laughs) when they want to be. (laughs) That's true. That's true. But you just mean kind of in general when they're passively breathing and all. They're probably, we know that kids can transmit but are are less likely much less likely than an adult to transmit the virus but then as you get into the teenage years um it becomes comparable to an adult in terms of risk of transmission yes yes okay and i also worry about i worry about the teenagers because they're more free to roam than the little kids so you take little kids on vacation with you you pretty much they're going to stay close to you and you can kind of keep track of them um, but mm-hmm. the teenagers are, you know, teenagers are natural risk takers and, you know, they're going to be, you know, out of your sight. And as soon as they're out of your sight, they're probably going to pull their mask off and they're going to go hang mm-hmm. with uh, friends and new friends they've met on vacation or from all sorts of different places where people don't wear their masks. And so that makes them additionally at risk. Yeah. This might be kind of obvious, but like, do children need to be vaccinated to reach herd immunity? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely do. They do? Yep. Just numbers. See, no nice. hesitation there. Yep. Maybe. <laughs> I like that. But theoretically, if all the adults, if 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 we got to 100% of adults and 100% of teenagers, it would be essentially zero risk to kids, right? It would be if you could say that 100% of the vaccine was effective. Um, sure. And that yeah. if it was effective 100% of the time. So mm-hmm. we're starting to get information now, sort of looking at the vaccine breakthroughs a little bit closer. Because some people are, you know, that 95% number, there's still going to be 5%. And it appears, you know, very early information that those 5% are people that had, a, you know, pretty heavy exposure. So it was somebody who, you know, they themselves got vaccinated, but then they go home to a household full of people that have COVID and are around them yeah. all the time. Or, you know, somebody that, you know, was at the soccer game for two hours having somebody screaming next to them. It's not going to be perfectly protective. Got it. So all the more reason that we need to think about this in terms of herd effect. So if you if you're vaccinated and you're in a very low exposure environment where everyone else is vaccinated, your risk is essentially zero. But if you're vaccinated and you're walking around with tons of contagious people around you, you uh, you are still at risk. Yes, yes. We had a lot of listener questions, actually, from parents asking about kids and COVID. Um, So I wonder, could you give us some guidance uh, with your pediatrician hat on? Sure, the best I can. Okay. So Poppy and Todd are parents of a seven-year-old and they asked, could you talk about what is known about the new variants of the virus affecting children? We've seen more than one news story about significant increases in children in ICUs. So... 
in your experience, have the variants made things worse for children? Is it more transmissible? Is it more harmful? Yes. That, I mean, that's that's what I'm hearing from my colleagues. I'm hearing more kids mm-hmm. are coming in and being hospitalized and more kids are getting sicker from it. And clearly, you know, none of these kids are immunized. Um, one of the yeah. things that the variants do is that they spread a lot easier. So I think people, you know, since we've been doing this for a year, had a pretty good sense of what they could do and what they couldn't do. Um, where you could get away with, you know, not wearing a mask, where you could get away with sort of, you know, traveling where you couldn't before. And I think the variant, because it spreads so much easier, is, you know, breaking into that complacency a little because it does spread it easier. So the things that we've all been doing of kind of cheating a little bit um, over the last year, yeah, you can't cheat anymore. Hmm. People get used to going to a store or something and wearing a bad mask and just because it's happened safely for the past eight months doesn't mean it would continue to in the presence of variants. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the big question uh, that people have been debating throughout the course of the pandemic has been schools. Does anything about this combination of variants, no pediatric vaccines yet available, um, in terms of where we stand right now, are you still optimistic that schools will be able to be open in person in the fall? Yeah, I think that story is yet to be written um, based okay. on where we go over the next couple of months of schools. Now that, you know, we have the variants, the variants in a lot of places are 40 to 60% of the infections and we'll see how it goes in schools. Um, you know, so much of the controls over this, it's sort of like a thermostat. You turn it up a little, you turn it down a little, you know, right now, you know, the, the caution level got turned down a fair amount and, you know, we're trying the schools, And I think we had to try the schools that, you know, there's so many issues, both for the kids not being in schools and for the parents not being able to do what they need to do because their kids aren't in schools. Yeah. We had to try it. Um, and I think the next two months will inform what we need to do in the fall. Jim, you'll have to uh, you'll have to go and investigate that one. That sounds like an assignment. She's <laughs> like that story has to be written. It's like Jim, you have to write it. <laughs> well, I'll be keeping an eye on it. But I, yeah, yeah. I'm wa- wary of this message that people think that once the adults are vaccinated, we can totally remove all caution and restrictions. And I think, yeah, that's a dangerous idea if people aren't aware that many thousands of kids have been hospitalized, many of them in the ICU. Right. And the fact that, you know, not all adults have been vaccinated. Since oh, no, far from want it. to be. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a message, maybe, Dr. Foster, to the uh, the adults who are uh, hesitant about vaccination in light of many vulnerable kids? You know, it's the same message that, you know, I try to have an outlook that it I, I love the hesitant rather than refusing that it's that someone mm-hmm. has just not yet <laughs> agreed to have the vaccine, that there's, there's something that they're waiting for that will either relieve their anxiety over it or something that will lead them to feel that it is compelling, um, either compelling for themselves or compelling for others in society of, you know, Hey, I need to get vaccinated so that kids can get back to school and life can get back to normal. Even if I'm feeling pretty good about my situation right now is what I'm hoping we could get more people to. Um, I think the vaccine's been out long enough now and we've not seen anything horrible happen. Um, the people should feel pretty, you know, the people in the beginning were like, oh, I don't want a new vaccine. I, it's not a new vaccine at this point. And I think people should feel pretty comfortable getting it. Yeah. 
No, I mean, I think the point has been made a lot, but that that these vaccines draw on technology that's been developed over over decades. We keep hearing about sort of minorities folks being hesitant. And, you know, we have not found, you know, again, our, our communities in Minnesota, but in, in communities where people are well-informed, there's not a lot of hesitancy. And that, you know, you, yeah. you open up a place where they can easily get vaccine at a convenient time and people are flooding into the vaccine, you know, centers. So. Right. Can I ask specifically about the nature of hesitancy among parents vaccinating kids uh, from some of the polling that I've seen people seem more willing to take a vaccine themselves and are, seem more hesitant about the possibility of vaccinating their child for complex reasons um I don't know how that'll actually bear out once you know the vaccines are available but do you think people approach that decision differently and is there anything helpful to consider in why people might weigh risks differently when thinking about their own bodies versus their child? I think that's a great question. I think parents in general are, you know, feel that they have a responsibility to protect their children. Um, I think, yeah. you know, everything is about, you know, risk versus benefit. And I think a lot of people out there really view that there is very little risk to their child. They've read the stories of, oh, it's no more than a cold. It's asymptomatic. You know, I kind of look at it as kind of like a seatbelt. You know, most parents, they, you know, they buckle their kids into either their seatbelt or their car seat, you know, even though there's a very tiny chance of having an, an accident on a given day. And, you know, vaccines are the yeah. same way, um, even if you're not going to look at it for, you know, the, the broad population of protecting, you know, and, and getting to herd immunity on something. It's it's I, I think that parents need to think of it that way. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's like um, we were speaking with an ethicist, um, Art Kaplan, and he used a similar analogy. He was kind of talking about people who are like, you can't tell me what to do with my body. But like, you know, all of us follow the rules of the road and use seatbelts. And, you know, it's like just in case it's just part of life and, and it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was going to ask as well about, um, you know, this big toll that the pandemic has taken on parents and on children and on their mental health, you know, the stress that the families have been under has been just massive. Have you met with this? And, you know, how do you offer advice and help to patients when they talk about this problem? It's a huge problem. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I was talking to somebody who takes care of um, very young children, infants, and, you know, talking about how these infants, you know, the first year of life is when you, you know, kids, their brains are developing and they're learning how to be social. And you have infants who've not seen another stranger outside of their household for a whole year, you know, and, and how's gonna, that going to mm -hmm. impact them long term? Um, I think for parents, this has been so hard. And, you know, I, I encourage all people that are not only a parent, but are, you know, somebody who can control some environments in a workplace is, you know, give some, you know, empathy and compassion to your employees. I saw one Zoom thing. It was like, make sure your children aren't in the Zoom and make sure there's never a dog barking in the background and those types of things. And like, you know, like you, you got to accept that once in a while, a child in a dinosaur costume is going to wander into your professional Zoom meeting. <laughs> it just happens. I would do more than accept that. That's wonderful. Yes, I know. I thought it was wonderful, but I'm a pediatrician. <laughs> 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 so you're a good person. Yeah. No, I mean, the more dogs and kids, the better. Oh. I hope that stays a feature. We all have to be more forgiving <laughs> of each other. 
and gives more compassion to each other. And it's some, there's so many things that people have just like moved into their fighting corners with their boxing gloves up. And we just, you know, mm. it's, it's kind of understandable, but at the same time, people need to just fill a little bit. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I'm so glad that you said that in an actual prescriptive way. And I'm going to be repeating that. <laughs> yeah. I was talking to a doctor and she said, everyone needs to chill. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for for your insight today. It was really Yeah, helpful. thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Glad to. Take care. Bye. 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 Jim, you were so right about pediatricians being the coolest. Yeah. Yeah, generally. Very, very nice. And I want to say, you know, Maeve, I, I think we have a lot of teens who listen to the show, particularly cool teens. And just don't, you know, don't go off away from your parents, take your mask off. It's not cool. Um, it doesn't make you hip. It doesn't make you wow. groovy or with it. You, you know, still be careful, especially if you have younger siblings and if you can't get vaccinated yet. Um, yeah. You know, it's not worth the TikToks. <laughs> Shout out to our teens. All right, teen listeners, we know you're there. And <laughs> you're here for Jim, the coolest, oldest brother you can you could ever imagine. <laughs> they 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 come for the bird for the bird content. Um, yeah, they do. Big ornithology heads. That's really <laughs> huge amongst 15 year olds at the moment. Well, hopefully we will talk more and acknowledge, I guess, the reality of the risks to young people. And if anyone out there is on the fence living their life mm -hmm. and feeling at low risk and like they're a healthy young adult or something and wouldn't really mind if they got sick and they hate shots, so they're not going to do it because all the other adults are going to do it. Um, remember, there's a bunch of kids, all of them, <laughs> young yeah. people who cannot, who simply cannot, and every transmission puts them at some risk. And just because their risk is lower, than an adult does not mean it's at all zero. Like, Maeve, if this were just a disease that only affected children, it would mm -hmm. be making headlines on, on its own. Like, 28,000 kids, 28,000 American kids have, have been hospitalized with this. It would, wow. be, it would be a huge story. And so hopefully that comes, comes to the fore. It doesn't mean we can't have schools or kids can't socialize. It just means we still need to think about how that's happening for a little while longer. Definitely. Yeah. Thank you, Jim. I mean, if that was another thing, like you're right, like thousands and thousands of kids ending up in hospital. That's so scary when you're small. Like I just had to go to hospital like twice when I was a kid, not for big deal stuff. That's so scary, especially. I mean, if you're if you're scared to go like have the doctor give you a shot as a kid, mm -hmm. the fear of like having an IV and like potentially being on a ventilator or having to, you know, have supplemental oxygen people you know like yeah being in, 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 in a hospital where probably your parents can't come or it's very restricted if they can um did you ever go to hospital when you were small i didn't have to no i, I was spared of that i broke a, i broke my thumb once after uh pitching uh the winning uh the championship game <laughs> in my little league series i uh, <laughs> fell at the party after the team party after i broke my thumb oh no i know <laughs> Wait, did you have a cast that made you do the thumbs up all the time? Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just so positive. Such a yeah. positive injured child. It was a great weapon. Oh, because it was it was it old fashioned like heavy? Yeah, thing? a hard plaster one. Yeah, you could really punch with it. 
You're a little Dennis the Menace. Maeve, before we go, I had a question about a thing that you wrote about called Outlander, and I haven't seen it, but it's a popular TV show. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we don't need to talk about this. It's this, but yeah, I wrote a piece about it. The star of the show tweeted about your mm -hmm. take on it. Yeah, so Outlander is a show on stars. It's about um, time travel. It's There's a lot of sex in the show. There's a lot of um, really ludicrous adventures and shipwrecks and like people losing their minds and, you know, uh, the Highlands of Scotland and yeah, two husbands. Anyway, it's a crazy show that has been very enjoyable during lockdown. And I wrote about it and this piece got shared like a lot online and I didn't realize the fandom attached like have you ever even heard of the show Jim? I've heard of it but I feel like it's yeah. just having a moment right now even it's in its third season you say no there's five seasons of it five seasons like, yeah and then why and right the, now Are, is everyone desperate for escape I think it's a, yeah it's a real escapist show but there's been these fans there like all along since I don't know like for years because the books came out in 1990 and and so then they all like, you know, started talking to me online about like how I needed to focus more on the male lead, who's like the hottest guy in the world, apparently. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm in trouble hmm. with the whole lot of uh, Outlander fans at the moment. So it's probably why the dead bird is outside my house. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that explains it. <laughs> yeah. When you write about fantasy stuff that has a real hardcore following, uh, you know, good luck. You dipped your toe into treacherous waters. I did not know that rule. Yeah. Oh, man. If I were to mention uh, Star Wars or something, I would feel... I would need to be very cautious, I think. You really do. And you'd have to talk about, like, Captain Picard or whatever. Because otherwise they'd be so mad at you. All right. Uh, that, <laughs> I think we're already... <laughs> we need to recall what was just said. Um, I don't uh, know what was the best captain. It's not... As straightforward for me as talking about, you know, viruses. It's not your wheelhouse. Um, well, viruses are just these mechanical forces. They just, like, do the same thing in every cell, and it's actually quite predictable. It's we who cannot control them. It's we who are the variables, Maeve. That sounds science fiction-y to me. Next week on <laughs> Star Outlander Bird Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm There's losing no it. greater distance. Okay, <laughs> let's do the, um... the social distance. <laughs> social distance is produced by Kevin Townsend with help from senior producer AC Valdez. We love hearing from listeners. If there's something you'd like us to talk about on an upcoming show, our email is socialdistance at theatlantic.com. And our voicemail line is 202 and as always, if you like this show and want access to all of The Atlantic's journalism, the best way to do that is by subscribing at theatlantic.com slash support us. Take care, Maeve. Bye. Thanks, Million Jim. So should we go electric? I think we should go electrified with Toyota. Electrified? Electrified means options. Yes, we could go all electric with a Toyota BZ4X, but then there are hybrids like Grand Highlander. Or we could do something in between like a RAV4 plug-in hybrid. So Toyota is electrified diversified? Yep, and with more options for reducing carbon emissions, the closer we all get to Toyota's Beyond Zero vision for the future. Exactly how much coffee have you had this morning? Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.